Man, don't know what we'll talk about tonight. Oh, nothing oh big has nothing big has happened. Iron Brains, a podcast devoted to examining those historically and culturally meaningful events which the great unknowable and all-knowing algorithms deign to spew out from the content maw in an entirely comprehensive and holistic way, drilling down to root causes, which has led us to inevitably conclude, now that we operate with the complete picture in mind, that every single accident, episode, coincidence, and calamity that befalls us here can be understood as the result of either the monstrous indifference or cruel malevolence of the creator of the universe, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one giant prick who started it all and either just walked away or is, for all we know, just sitting back and enjoying the show. Like you should right now. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing tonight, Lori? <laughs> fine. Lori's fine. Tonight is Tuesday, October the 10th, 2023. Quick happy birthday to Moose out there if you're listening. A beautiful day here in Charlottesville. We played some baseball. And here we are now, Abe. Yes. You're uh, getting packed and ready for uh, beautiful Mexico, aren't you? Yes. I'm going to uh, Cancun. This is the the last of the 1983 birthdays, the 40 years ah. birthdays. And uh, this is Mike, um, and this is his 40th. Uh, we're going to Cancun for like five days, leaving a day from tomorrow or a day from now uh, on Wednesday. By the time this episode comes out, Abe will be airborne, I believe, probably in the in the plane. What uh, what airline oh, are you? Are you so flying? remember the disaster. Uh, big big uh, problems with Spirit Air out there in California last time, right? It was Frontier. Uh, Sorry, you had, Frontier, you had to get yeah. your shitty airlines right, Bob. So Frontier, we had issues with uh, in San Diego, a terrible experience. Uh, so we decided to. Uh, use them again. Oh. Uh, so we're going on frontier. It's like, what are the chances? I mean, statistically You're going impossible. going international on a budget airline? On a budget airline, yes. Nice knowing you. Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to, I will have dropped in the uh, George W. Bush fool me once. Shame on you. Quit right. here. There's an old saying in Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once. Shame on Shame on you. It fooled me. We can't get fooled again. I Good can old just George do it right w. now. It's like my only George W. Bush quote I can do. You don't do it great. I could do it. Nope. You I don't. do it so yeah, well. You don't. You think you do, but you don't. Well, it, it you know, I, I suspect that it will be smooth sailing this go around. Um, oh, I'm sure no you'll issue. be just fine. <laughs> uh, and, you know, nothing happening in the world in terms of uh, tumult. So nothing to. It's a big Nothing planet. I mean, there could be tumult in parts. <laughs> it's a big planet. 
Uh, did you do anything uh, noteworthy this this weekend, Abe? Other you had, than uh, uh, you had Monday off for uh, Columbus, Columbus Indigenous Day. Peoples Day, right? My calendar is, is still not updated. I don't have the software update patch for this other day that you speak of. Uh, it still shows up as Columbus Day, and so it just depends yes. on where you are or something. Right, but on the federal holiday, the official oh. federal holiday situation is still Columbus it's Day. Both, yeah. right? It just has um, Columbus Day. Okay. Um, yeah, so I didn't do anything, uh, which was by design. I was like, I got a big Tuesday of work before taking another seven days off, so I just relaxed. There was a lot of good sports on this weekend. Also, there was That's so right. much. It good was a. Sports. It was a two TV, two TV type of situation uh, no throughout the brainer. weekend. Like, but get the other TV out. Obviously, get it out early. I'm not that going is, anywhere. Yeah, that is true. And also, this was like by far like the best like Georgia has looked um, this season. Oh, yeah, man. we'll get to that. We'll get to that a little bit later on. I think yeah. we'll save the sports and the fun stuff for later. You could make the whole podcast fun stuff. Did you know that? There's so many awful things happening in the world uh, this week. It seems like we Including should probably... Including Anthony Richardson's uh, shoulder injury. He's going to be out for like a is month. That your, I mean, uh, is, that, is that what... Is that what you're thinking of? That is, that is what terrible. I was talking about, yes. And the return of... You know, I'll tell you what was truly devastating to me over the long weekend is that Jonathan Taylor came back and scored a goddamn touchdown <laughs> and he was rotting the away... Georgia baseball player? On my bench. No, the Colts uh, superstar running back. You should be so, more clear. To be clear, that it's not the now paralyzed former Georgia no, baseball player. That would have player. been uh, that probably would have made some headlines if the now paralyzed former Georgia baseball player had <laughs> scored a touchdown for the Indianapolis Colts. Be awesome. It, it, I, I believe it was Zach Moss that was doing all the the scoring. He was the the other running back. I don't know. What, what, did you see any? He, he was awarded points on your fantasy. System? I thought he scored like nine points on my bench. Did he uh, not get a touchdown? Well. I'm not on any uh, fantasy leagues this year. Just kind of nice, me polls. either. Isn't it and nice? It's nice, right? Because I, although the only thing is, like, I wonder. Uh, the one concern is that was the w- way to keep up with players' names. Uh, yeah. Because now I don't know who some of these new players That's are. True. They're all young. But, yeah, they're young, and it's just like I don't know who this person is. Um, there's some weird guy. There's a guy from who plays for the Rams with like a weird with like a long name. He's very good. Ooh, but I like him. I don't. But yeah, I, I thought uh, it was. Oh no, Zach you're Moss right. He only scored three point nine points. I was yeah. thinking of the uh, Jets running back Brees Hall, who I left oh. on my bench, who scored twenty seven goddamn fantasy <laughs> points in our league, which would have been not very good at fantasy football. It would have been you the lose difference as a result. Yes, of I this? lost. I lost as a result of benching the wrong players. It, anyway, what happened? Just get to the horrible stuff so we can get through it to do the fun stuff. Because there's so much good. There's oh, so yes. much good. It's and you're going to choose to talk about bad. All right. Before we get to talk about the, the Braves and the dogs and all of the fun things, a uh, war has uh, uh, broken out in Israel. Again. Again. Yes. Again. Still. I want to start as a way in. Uh, the easiest way in is always uh, media criticism, right? Where you can you yes. can talk about the coverage of a thing rather than discuss the thing itself. Uh, this is from like the opening two minutes of the Daily, uh, the New York Times Daily News podcast called The Daily. Yes. On October 9th, this is what they ran. 
is supported by USA Facts. Get lost in the news? USA Facts is here to help. Your one stop for clear, unbiased facts breaking down complex government data into easy to understand bytes. No jargon, no spin. Just facts at usafacts.org. I'm going to pause it here. Uh, the commercial changes every time. So I want to, uh, like, you, you hear a commercial at the start and they, they have their algorithm or whatever they have. I don't know the fancy way in which they're able to do this. But uh, depending on the platform or, or what time you go to listen to it, the commercial could be something else the next time you go to listen to it. That was for uh, some fact-checking website. When I first heard this episode of The Daily, it led off with a commercial for uh, Saks, the fancy clothier from uh, New York, from Fifth Avenue. And so it was a, an invitation to to visit the Saks website and stock up on, on goodies for your loved ones for the holidays. And uh, whatever, that's, um, that, that's the context. Right. I'm very sorry about what happened, first of all. Second of all, can you tell me how it started? Yes, yes. My wife and I and our two daughters live in Kibbutz Nachaloz, which is a beautiful community on the border with Gaza. And we are very proud and still are to be members of this community. Yesterday morning at 6 a.m., we heard a whistle and we realized that bombs are falling. We are very attuned to these kinds of things. And actually, in every house in our community, there is what we call a safe room, which is a room that is built of very strong concrete and has a special kind of door that is supposed to withstand the fall of mortars and rockets. And that's usually where the children sleep. So we just ran to the safe room, closed the window, closed the door, and um, we just wait for it to be over. But then we started hearing gunfire. Gunfire very close, and it became closer and closer. And that's when we realized we're in a different kind of event. And we realized that there are terrorists inside our neighborhood and at some point outside our window. We could hear them talk, we could hear them run, we could hear them, you know, shooting their guns at our house, at our windows. Uh, there was no military anywhere in sight. And at that moment, we realized that we are, are here alone. We are going to have to stay in there and, and pray, basically. All right, that is the uh, first two minutes from uh, Monday's The Daily. If uh, you are like me, uh, you saw the headlines on Sunday and largely ignored the goings-on in Israel. I probably checked Drudge. I might have read the front-page story in the New York Times, uh, which I don't even remember what it was, I might have, in fact, ignored it as well because we got a late start on Sunday and I cooked a big breakfast and I turned on the Sunday shows and so I saw the – I'd seen the headlines. I saw a couple of stories. Uh, it didn't f fully dominate – I mean, like we had Anthony Blinken come on both Meet the Press and Face the Nation to talk about uh, what was going on. He spent most – the bulk of both interviews – talking about how this wasn't his fault, how it's not the fault of the... Of the, the $6 uh, billion on Right, the thing. Biden administration. He, he played a lot of the Republicans are being disgusting uh, political assholes about this uh, throughout his 
six or eight minute long interviews. And I guess to be fair, there's not there's a fog of war, ton of stuff we don't know, uh, and it's the, the usual trying not to get ahead of the president who had decided not to, or or ahead of the rest of the administration in terms of them figuring out uh, what the correct response was going to be to all of this. Uh, the point here being that I made it to Monday morning, not really having the full picture of how serious what was going on really was. And so I'm reading the news on Monday morning and like, Oh, Holy shit. Like this isn't just your normal right. fucking Hamas was firing wantonly firing some uh, mortars or rockets from Gaza over into Israel. This was like a massive deal. Like this is the biggest, probably the biggest attack or most significant attack endured by Israel in our lifetimes. Uh, you have to go back to the the Yom Kippur War, apparently, which I'll be perfectly frank, I know almost nothing about uh, that sort of history. The 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 point here in discussing my ignorance, uh, both broadly and in the specific question of what had happened over the weekend, is that really my first in one of my first encounters with the news was this episode of the daily and very quickly in the first two minutes, in fact, and I paused the episode to send you a text about this, uh, two minutes into the episode, I, I felt incredibly unsettled by the combination of the commercial at the, at the top with the, what I already knew to be was going to be serious content of the show. Then, then married to this intense, first-person narrative about his experience of being in a literal war zone in a uh, – uh, cramped into a small bomb shelter type room or, or, or safe room in his house with his young children combined with a production design that feels like it's designed to generate in me, the end user, some sort of emotional reaction as though simply hearing the news – uh, wasn't going to be enough, but they needed to add in this uh, sort of eerie and creepy background music. And then within that, have this pause where the ba- it's just that little bass thrumming along. Right. And then the dramatic silence and then the, the chirpy thing that comes in and the guy starts talking again. We are going to have to stay in there and, and pray, basically. What I said to you was that it's it's war news as content in a very brazen way, and it, it just felt incredibly disconcerting to me in the way it was packaged for me, a far away and 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 completely unaffected audience. Like there's just there's something about the way it was all put together that made it feel like product in a way that that made me extremely uncomfortable in the moment. And I don't know if. I, I so, obviously I poisoned the well when right. I, I said, "Hey, listen to this. It's real fucked up." So I don't know what your reaction was, uh, but but go ahead. So uh, when you sent me the uh, the message, I had not yet listened to the podcast, and then I at some point later that day I did listen to it. Uh, had you not said anything about it, it would not have stuck out to me because the daily the the podcast they have their the way that they produce every episode, right? They have at the top, they'll do the commercial, then they'll do these 
this music in between, and they kind of follow that same model even for the invasion of Ukraine, right? I mean, it was like when they were like within a stone's throw from the capital, like when when it looked like, oh shit, the, the Russians are coming and it was going to be a thing. Like even when they were doing those and, and like the snipers are killing families, they would do the interlude or they would do a little break and they have the little music. So like the, the structure of the podcast does not change, I guess, uh, for either of those two scenarios. I mean, uh, in this example, they were comparing it, it basically it's like, oh, this is Israel's 9-11. And when 9-11 actually happened in America, it was wall-to-wall nonstop coverage. It didn't break for like Colgate commercials, did they? What, what, during the thick of it. Right. Uh, and I suspect that maybe Israel over there uh, for domestic consumption is, is wall-to-wall. But like for those people removed like us, you know, you're in the United States or you're in Europe or somewhere else, I suspect that the they're not changing the way that they produce their show. They're talking about this. And and what's what's interesting is that, you know, it stood out to you how they packaged this story on Monday. But then I turn on, you know, anytime a big thing happens, I will like to just kind of go through all the different cable channels. How is right. MSNBC covering it? How is CNN covering it? How is Fox News covering it? And they all have their, like, fancy graphics. War, Israel, boom, boom, boom. you know, we'll be back. And then they do their commercials. So they're, do, you know, and then once they come back from the commercials, you're seeing very like barbaric acts, you know. I mean, they're censoring it somewhat, but it's like, holy shit, what is going on? Um, but they're, they're, they didn't deviate from the way that they produce their shows um, either. And so I don't know what it is, but it did, that did not stick out to me. What did stick out to me, like you say that you mostly kind of stayed away until Monday. When this kind of unfolded like on Saturday, I was like, okay, I haven't been on Twitter for some time. Right. In the recent past, that used to be, I mean, Twitter, I'm not a, like a user of Twitter in the in the way people use it where they kind of like communicate with others. I don't like to talk to anybody else. I just like, that's like a source for where we can kind of gather information. It's good for sports, you know, like highlights and, and whatnot. And then, you know, if some big story happens, the, you kind of have to wait through a lot of like, this is actually not, this, this didn't happen this weekend. This is for some graphic image from the past. So you kind of have to wade through a lot of nonsense. But on the whole, there was some valuable information you can get from Twitter. That was not the case here. It is a total, I don't know if you've been on Twitter recently. It is a total cesspool. I mean, there is, you you know less as a result of consuming the information on Twitter. And so like after like 30 minutes of just kind of sifting through the stuff, I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not going to find out through this channel. And yeah. so I stopped and then I did basically kind of what you did was kind of wait until the, you know, more information comes because when the first alert came out, I thought, oh, Israel, Hamas, okay, maybe it's one of these isolated terrorist attacks. But then when you see what are we at, at, at the time of recording, it's well over a thousand people have been killed on the Israeli side, right? And the the, the spectacular way that they attack, you know, with the, the little things that they had, the drones or whatever, the, uh, uh, there were all these towns that were nearby that were attacked, and it seemed like there wasn't much of a hard border. I always thought, I mean, I don't know much about Israel, but from the coverage... Well, there is. The coverage, there is a hard border. They bulldozed their... It didn't look their, like it. How did they just waltz in? Like, what, what happened? Like, they just all well, just kind of... they're fucking paragliding in on hang gliders. Yeah, paragliding. They were, that's what I meant. They yeah. were coming in on, on motorcycles. They used bulldozers to, to bully their way through the, through the walls. But these are unmanned... Like, so, the, the, so they have the, this hard border I mean, it's, wall... 
but there's nobody mining the store. Yeah, what is it? it, it Ga- Gaza is roughly the size of Washington D.C. with two million people inside it, right? Right. Like that's. I mean, still, it's a it's a jam packed area, but that's still a big amount of area to imagine that you can have a man at every, you know, a soldier every 10 feet or something, right? That's not the way that it is. I guess, but it just seemed like, I, I don't know, I, it, it kind of did remind me of like 9-11 in that way where it's like, how did this, how, how did these 19 people manage to, you know, take commandeer or take over these different planes and like all of these different things had to have happened. They had to have training in the months prior, like all of this stuff and all of the chatter didn't get up to the right people to the extent that there was chatter. I don't know how. Yeah. Israel's this is a point that I probably wanted. I probably wanted to make towards the end of a conversation like this, but I might as well say it now since this is how you're framing it. This puts a lie to any justification for a police security state or building a fucking wall or anything. Israel has been arguably the single most locked down police state type. I mean, it's a democratic, relatively open society as we understand it. But also there's a giant fucking wall that separates that, that, that it stands between them and the Gaza Strip. This is a, as secured a border as exists anywhere in the world with the exception of maybe the DMZ between right, right. Uh, South Korea and North Korea, right? Like this has been, their whole project has been to isolate and contain the Palestinians in Gaza, uh, at least at, at that point, right? There's another uh, border that they have uh, to the north, right? Uh, where right. where uh, Hezbollah is on the, is, is sort of on the other side there. So there are a couple of different fronts here, but ultimately this is one of what's supposed to be one of the most secure parts of the entire world in terms of uh, build the wall and keep the assholes out. And also having uh, like the Israeli defense force the, the and the Mossad, this is and that, as, that as respected dome thing. Yeah. Right. And they have iron dome, but yeah, as respected, I mean, if maybe respected is the wrong word. But as sort of invasive a security state as can be imagined in a relatively functional uh, Western-style open democracy, uh, yeah, okay. If you want to call it an apartheid state, fine, call it an apartheid state. Uh, but that what comes with it then is a certain amount of of sort of domineering of police intelligence of state of state security, which didn't fucking work right like it just right. doesn't fucking work at the in the moment that it matters most these assholes and bulldozers and motorcycles and and scooters and and fucking paragliders like it's a zelda game or something like they're it, yeah. literally hang gliding in to a concert uh with with uh weapons and grenades festival, and right? shit right and and killing people killing a thousand people they they go to a rave which is like it was 10 miles from the from the border and uh, they show up at this rave where a bunch of uh, Israeli youths are out there uh, uh, dancing the night away, presumably intoxicated by this point in the situation right. as the sun is rising. And they killed uh, 200 some odd people there. Uh, people just at a, just hanging out at a, at a dance, at a concert. And a lot of this stuff, I think you can you, – you must take all of this early reporting uh, coming out of – a, a zone like this with a grain of salt. I don't, I don't know whether to believe or disbelieve the stories about there being a kibbutz with 
with 40 dead babies inside it, right? Like I don't I I don't know to what degree I can I can say that is absolutely true just because I heard it reported by a reporter who talked to some uh, Israeli soldiers. Uh, maybe it's not true. Maybe when the guy on the uh, BBC interview is saying some things, maybe he's exaggerating a couple of things. But that goes with the fucking territory when many thousands of uh, militants and terrorists come storming into small towns and small villages and just start uh, – mowing down uh, women and children, kicking in doors and and shooting all of the people inside and then going on to the next door. Uh, you're going to get some weird stuff that you can't necessarily take to the bank. Uh, but at the same time, like I think that the general picture sort of holds. Right. Uh, and it's fucking terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. It is, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, the images that, that have been coming out over the last few days are just like, holy shit. Like, I mean, just... People are just kind of going about their day and they're just getting mowed down, right? And and you know, to the point that you're making about the the supposed very uh, 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 strong security apparatus apparatus that they have in place. Like, I mean, a lot of those like communities that were attacked, they're like right by the Gaza Strip, right? So maybe they took comfort in the reputation of the military that we are so protected, we can have a music venue ten miles. Away, I mean, you know, maybe Israel is just so small that everything just nearby. Uh, but like, I'm sure people took comfort in the fact that we have a hard security border. We got people manning the different stations. We have technology, so it's not like even if you don't have, if you have like some area that's not protected, at least you have somebody that's observing it, or maybe there's some sort of motion. There's something, but it seemed like there was nothing. And people, once they got into Israel. They would kill a bunch of people, and then what? What was the story? They're dragging some others, the survivors, into Gaza so they can use them as, I don't know, like negotiation uh, for 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 bargaining or for hostage purposes. But like, they're well, able and they to- announce they announce that they're distributing their hundred odd hostages to various points of military interest right. uh, throughout throughout Gaza, uh, which of course, I mean. Whatever uh, you don't, if if you need your your extremely pro-Israel take, it's certainly out there, and I don't see. I mean, I, again, sort of like with Russia and Ukraine, I struggle. Anytime I see somebody talking about the root cause shit, about how this is a result of, uh, well, you turn Gaza, uh, two million people in Gaza, into an open-air prison. What do you expect is going to happen? And the 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 Black Lives Matter Chicago chapter posts on their Twitter, and, and we describe the paragliders coming down and attacking the, the concert. They posted a, a screenshot of—I'll show it to you here, and I'll, I'll make sure there's a link to it. This is an account that's followed by uh, some 60,000 people, including such luminaries as Ibram X. Kendi and Michelle Sindor. Uh, Joy Ann Reed, Matt Taibbi, Ida Well, or uh, Nicole Hannah Jones, and the Slate Political Gabfest. So this is an outfit of some some repute out there, not just some random, right. not just some bunch of randos. And this is the thing that they elected to share earlier today, which is a uh, uh, somebody paratrooping wow. in with a, a Palestinian flag uh, in the in the wow. parachute, and it says, "I stand with Palestine." Uh, which is a pretty clear re- suggestion that they're 
pleased with the fact that these paratroopers came into this concert and started mowing down a bunch of uh, Israeli children, uh, you know, teenagers and, and young people. I mean, what other? I'm, I'm sure the, the the people would push back and say something else. But what other conclusion can you draw other than? I mean, if you just said I stand with Palestine, that would be one thing, right? But like to have that image, right? I mean, I don't right. know. It's, dis- it's despicable. It's <laughs> utterly despicable. And anything short of an unequivocal denunciation of what happened over the weekend strikes me as uh, completely morally confused that you just you have absolutely no idea uh, what it means to actually be in the world and it's it's like it like ruins my ability to relate to other people like they their pretend empathy their their fucking morally superior i know the holer the the more holistic picture more than you do i have more information that than you do and therefore uh i i put myself in this sort of a position where i'm going to say uh this thing that just happened here is exclusively the fault and this is another thing that the like a like 30 or 40 different uh harvard student groups came together uh, and and insisted and and put out a, a, a group letter, all signed by by hundred uh, what represents hundreds or thousands of of Harvard students, uh, saying that this entire thing is the result of purely the result of Israeli actions. That the the colonial colonialist apartheid Israeli regime is entirely at fault for what happens now, and that they stand with Palestine also. And I just. I cannot understand how that's the mindset that you're walking around with in the world. It, it, who it, gets, it, whoever gets held responsible for right. anything that they do, and how is it not? How is it not entirely dismissive of the moral agency of the people that you claim to care so much about to insist that everything that they do is simply a result of the oppression of the Israeli state? I, I don't get it. What, what I don't get is, you know, and and. I don't want to uh, stereotype, but I imagine there's a, among the different groups that you mentioned, uh, the the Black Lives Matter Chicago and the, the universities, there's a handful of them that have like coexist or like give peace a chance sticker somewhere, right? There's a lot of like empathy and human rights and we need to stand up for the rights of people or whatever, all this stuff, right? But how does all of that get like, how do you have these carve outs for specific situations where, well, they deserve it? Because, like, I mean, the, the way that I look at it is like, this is not like an offsetting penalty situation. You can't, like, uh, accept one bad behavior uh, because of some other bad behavior you can point to in the past, right? I mean, there, there are no offsetting penalties. Like, this sort of depraved kind of behavior is bad all the time. Right. There's no exception. It's bad all of the time that it happens. And it's not that hard to just say that. Right. But I think people, the, the way that they see the world are groups. Right. And so if they committed to is, you know, Israel is occupying these people in, you know, that are in the Gaza Strip, in the West Bank, and it's not fair. And all of these arguments that are made uh, and many of them. Are, are sound, but like, how do you take that? And then, like, you see people getting mowed down at a bus stop. These elderly people—they're just going about their day. They're getting killed. Kids are getting—I mean, a thousand people just—and these are not 
hard targets. These are just civilians, right? These are just people going about their day. And you find some justification for it? I mean, if what they're saying is true. Oh, no, there's no such thing as a soft target or a, or a civilian target in Israel because they have conscription uh, military service. So everyone uh, is a soldier or a potential soldier. And so there are no... Or a future soldier if they're like really young. But but the, the it is a incoherent argument because on one hand, hey, them's the breaks, right? Israel, you get this because of what you did, right? If that were true, you should be consistent. Whatever comes Palestine's way now should be them's the breaks Palestine, right? Because this is what you wanted, right? Like, but... When that no, happens, it, because that, because once you identify a root cause, you don't have to go any further back. You don't have to. You, you don't move the ball forward to the next cause link in the causal chain. You've identified the root cause. The root cause is the evil Zionists in Israel, and you don't need to go any uh, further than that with your moral calculus. Right, but yeah, I guess that, that's what their argument is going to be. But the problem is, you know, there is the. It's already kind of starting now because I mean, some of these. Uh, uh, these uh, pictures are coming out of Gaza where buildings are just kind of toppled, just dis- destroyed by by Israel. Um, the argument is that collective punishment is wrong, right? Which I agree with. Um, a lot of people agree with. What was just what happened this weekend was collective punishment. Like it didn't matter. You weren't attacking Joe Schmo. You were attacking Israeli person, right? It didn't matter who. You would just kill anybody, a kid, an old person. A you know somebody of military age. It was indiscriminate killing of anybody who was perceived to be Jewish. Not all of them were. There were some Americans, Europeans, or a lot of different people that were just kind of there, uh, just indiscriminately killing somebody. So how could you? I mean, to me, this, even if you were a cynical person and you didn't actually care, at least the public-facing argument would be to denounce the act and then make your other points, right? But for you to just say, hey who can play that game. I don't know how reliable some of the footage out of like Sydney and other places where you have groups of people saying death to the Jews and gas the Jews. It's like, how are you winning anybody over with this course of action? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. What is the end game? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. What is the path forward now? Is this the end be- game? The end game, if you listen to them, is to shove all the Jews into the sea. Uh, but, <laughs> but, I mean, but that is, yeah, I mean, I, I, I always thought that that was just a, you know, the, the Hamas group who seems to have like a, uh, a, I always just assumed that they just had a grip on the, the Gaza uh, uh, region and they haven't had elections in 16 years and who knows if people still support them. They're just going to do what they're going to do. Whatever money comes their way, they're going to spend on terrorist infrastructure, you know, having like, tunnels and like rockets like nothing to like prop up the the country just things to attack israel and if your strategy is to take on a country that has a lot more of those weapons than you do like what is this there's no end game through violence right especially if you are outgunned like it's not they're on par with each other israel has a lot more weaponry a lot more support than palestine so like hamas's strategy seems to be what we're going to cause this mayhem and then draw as many countries in to cause like a world war. I, I just don't understand what their goal is. So it is interesting because it seems like this can sort of only be understood as a suicidal action by 
Hamas, right? That there's it's it's hard to imagine this event unfolding and for the result of it not to be that Gaza gets turned into a fucking moat right. or, a, or like, like it doesn't get fucking utterly that they do not go literally door to door that the Israeli military ultimately here after a bombing campaign that takes out what they identify as military targets. And yeah, that's going to include mosques. That's going to include schools. That's going to include hospitals. And the reason it's going to include those places is because that's where Hamas keeps their fucking weapons. That's where they situate their communications departments. That's where they set themselves up uh, as protection, right? They proudly use human shields, uh, both, both literally and in the more figurative sense where they build, uh, they, 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 they house their military operations literally next to the daycare or next to the mosque, or in fact in the mosque, because they believe it affords them a certain amount of protection because, uh, for all of Israel's, uh, uh, ills and, and, the the bad way that they are in the world, they don't particularly want to endure, the nasty PR of bombing uh, civilian targets. Uh, they, and they, they tend to warn you before that happens. They have the, the door knocker missiles, right? right? Where they drop a bomb on your apartment building that doesn't have an ordinance inside. And then, like, that's how you know right. uh, in five fucking minutes uh, we're going to drop the next bomb in the same spot which will have an ordinance inside, right. which, which will uh, do the trick, right? So, so get the fuck out. You have no time. You cannot collect your shit. It's just time to vacate the building. The result of this action by Hamas is going to be the end of Hamas. So why in the world would Hamas elect to do this, which is why you immediately get the, Washington, or the, the Wall Street Journal uh, comes out with a piece that suggests that there was this big meeting and it involved leaders from Hamas and uh, Iran and I think Hezbollah as well. Right. Uh, within the last uh, couple of weeks where they apparently discussed the the end game plans here. And so as a as a sort of proxy fight by the Iranians, which it must be said uh, by all accounts, uh, if you again, this is caveat the assholes of like the gray zone news and the Aaron Mates and the, the Katie Halpers uh, and the, to some extent the uh, the Glenn Greenwalds of the world who are quick to suggest that any anything that you hear in Western media about Israel is going to be propaganda that's not to be trusted. Sorry, don't believe you. Right. Uh, you, have, you have very little credibility when you uh, align yourself with the sorts of people who, who absolutely refuse to condemn any of the actions taken by Hamas here in the name of Palestinian liberation, which is it's going to have the opposite effect. Right. It's simply going to result in uh, the, the removal of Hamas from from any sort of uh, meaningful political power to the extent that they had any when in, in reality they didn't. And and arguably uh, potentially could result in a, a greater conflict that involves Hezbollah, which is right. up in uh, coming out of Lebanon, right. which will suddenly uh, have this become a much larger conflict. Uh, I mean, that's it, what they're it, hoping for. But do you think that that which will involve will, the United States? If if it, it will ultimately involve the United States, I think, in, but do you in, think, in, in meaningful if, ways. Right. If that were to happen, yes. If it kind of expanded beyond just Israel, uh, but I don't 
think that that's what's going to happen? Like, it seems like a lot of people point to uh, and say, oh, poor Palestine. But it just seems just, just to say it. Like, there's no real interest in actually helping uh, the situation. This particular incident, like, it was done for a reaction, right? It was such a brutal assault and just very a cavalier and just kind of like, what is going to just do the most heinous of things, right? And so, like, if anybody sees any of the footage, you're going to, like, you're going to feel a certain kind of way. And I'm sure in Israel, with their, from what I gather, again, I'm not from Israel, I don't know much about Israel, but the current government composition is pretty far on the right. Uh, this is going to give them the cover to do whatever, right? And And, like, all of the, hey, it's wrong what they're doing to Palestine arguments are undermined by you being okay with the acts of this weekend. Right? How can you stand on any sort of solid ground on an argument where you don't care what happens to people? right? You're just making some sort of argument to say I'm on this side because of whatever. I don't know. Maybe your friends are also on that side. But to me, it's like if you're against people – being treated poorly, you should have been against this also. I think the only, like, uh, I think it was, like, AOC who actually actually had, like, somewhat of a nuance, like, hey, this is wrong. You can still make the arguments for Palestine, but, like, this is wrong. And a lot of people had a hard time— I think AOC also immediately called called for an immediate ceasefire. And right. I'm sorry. Which like, is not going to happen, but, I mean, that's fine. I mean, it's, a nice, it's a nice thought, I guess, right. but it's also uh, completely disingenuous. Right. Because if you're going to have thousands of militants, ter- terrorist militants, waltzing into kibbutzes and villages and, and music festivals and slaughtering innocents who are not military targets, you don't get to then stand up and say, ah, we should have a ceasefire, right? No. Every fucking military or government or people with a shred of character or dignity or pride or or self-respect or self-regard or self-preservation, right, is going to stand up and say, this must be stopped in ex- with, with, with extreme violence uh, in response right. because there's no way that we can abide saying, uh, ceasefire, uh, truce, everybody chill, everything's going to be cool if we all just talk about it now. No, that's not a, it, aside from being an absurd, whatever the opposite of real politic is uh way of understanding the world it's it's completely immoral it's it's completely beyond the scope of justice because she doesn't think that those people should be accountable to justice in the same way that an actually uh, functional moral agent should be because of her belief about the way that israel is in the world right, right. this is the same sort of thing that says that we can't prosecute people who break uh, smaller order crimes in this country because of the circumstances in which they were raised. Or who say, well, what do you expect to happen in Chicago? It's fucking Chirac and the police are bad and everybody, right. everybody's dealing drugs all the time. Right. Uh, and any discussion of all of the, the ceaseless murders that happen in the streets there uh, just doesn't really understand root causes. What the fuck are you talking about? Right. At some point, like, ah, man. And it turns me into like... like like where the fuck are the Republicans sometimes in this country too? I, I forget what we were listening to, but we were listening to something about uh, all of the deaths of despair and all of the all of the people who die of 
uh, fentanyl overdoses in this country. And it was some Republican talking about all of the, the people who are dead because of fentanyl and, and blaming Joe Biden and blaming the border and blaming all of the Democrats and, uh, and, and failed policies of the Democrats for all of the dead people from fentanyl. And like, I'm sorry, but like a generation ago, a Republican would have stood up and said, hey, assholes, maybe we should stop doing so many fucking right. drugs and then we won't then we won't all be dying of fentanyl overdoses. They wouldn't be blaming Joe fucking Biden or the border for that. And do, yeah, do, maybe it's better that we live in a world that's, that's more nuanced and we understand that uh, addiction is a fucking disease and all of that stuff. But at some point, there are moral agents in the world and it's not all just a contest of who has the most power and who is the most victimized by those with that power, right? Everyone must be treated as a moral agent in the world or else the whole fucking thing falls apart. Right. I, I, I do suspect that. Do, do you think that uh, the, uh, the about face, as far as the arguments go with the fentanyl, has to do with that, that empathy gap that I talked about? Like in the past, they didn't know anybody who was facing with those drugs but now they do and now it's like yeah oh, sure and i'm you sorry know? for even bringing it up i should but it's a non sequitur uh, to 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 be fair though to aoc like uh you have um a couple of a few options right one of them is what she said like hey cease fire let's let cooler heads prevail the other option is uh what joe biden did was trying to strike a balance like i'm not going to tell you to show restraint because we wouldn't have you know like if this happened to us right and in fact, it did happen some time ago. And then the other option would be like, fuck them up, you know, do whatever, bloodlust, you know, like, so like, of all of the options, I mean, what would have been the, like, as a congressman from New York who has no say in what Israel is going to do? You express utter abhorrence and shame at what has happened. It should be simply you have started a chain of events that is going to result in a great deal of death and destruction and it it like and maybe you think that you are doing uh retribution or or justice here in a way that is meaningful it's it's just going to result in more suffering and that is that is the bottom line here the, there's one winner out of all of this and it is the god of death that is the only oh, yeah. that it is the only <laughs> Winner here is that there's going to be a lot more dead people who otherwise uh, could have gone on with their meager, miserable fucking lives for a little bit longer. The 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 uh, Iran component, like you were mentioning earlier, Hezbollah, Iran, and other uh, parties to this potentially. Uh, that makes sense in the sense that you know there's reports that there is a normalization effort between Israel and Saudi Arabia that they want to scuttle, they want to create disruption and destabilization for some larger purpose right and they're not well, impacted. the argument the argument uh, to without turning into a conspiracy theory but to give context to it is that there iran is concerned or iran is concerned that saudi arabia and israel are getting too close to a buddy buddy type situation that they're going to become too and this is why iran is willing to work with Hamas, which is one of them is Sunni, one of them is, is, is Shiite. Uh, usually those two would be uh, at war with one another. The Saudi Arabian government uh, is also on the other side of Iran, Iran in that way, right? They're also a Shiite uh, situation. So you would think uh, 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 interests would align maybe in a, in a less political way of thinking about this uh, from a purely sort of uh, sectarian way of thinking about it. The, I think I have that right. I think it's the Saudis that are Shiite and the no, Iranians Saudis are, are Sunnis. 
All right, they're the Sunnis and yeah. the fucking yeah Hezbollah. Team, and team A and Team fucking yeah. B are yeah. on opposite sides here, and and the the Saudi is traditionally aligned with the Hamas organization. They they are of the same the team there, but their interests in this case don't necessarily align. So the Iranians might be stepping in here, causing chaos in this moment to prevent an alliance between uh, uh, Netanyahu's government and Mohammed bin Salman's government. Uh, that that seems to be the, the thought behind it. Now, uh, if it does... If it, if it turned out that that is indeed the case, you know, because right now they're saying that there's nothing that they have, uh, like there's no concrete evidence for this specific attack. I mean, uh, Iran has provided support in the past generally, but they don't have the smoking gun, so to speak, on this attack. But if they were able to tie Iran... Well, this. I mean, they, they provide all of the money necessary and the and the weapons, and they are the ones who smuggle in the weapons into the Gaza Strip. Like this is not again. If you can get past fucking Jimmy Dore and and the uh, Max Blumenthal gray zone news, this is just accepted fact. Like the Iranians provide the weapons for Hamas, and Hamas then shoots the the fucking missiles and the AKs. Perhaps, at the but there, there's, there's no need to get ahead of it. I mean, if you can find the direct link to this specific thing that you'll be on much stronger ground and just saying accepted as fact. I mean, why not just have the sure. actual fact, right? But if you do in fact make that connection, wouldn't the argument be like they want the normalization efforts uh, to be undone. And so let's not give in to that because on one hand, Hamas, they, they, what they want is a, a over the top reaction, right? To then say, Oh my God, they blew up all these hospitals and schools and all that stuff. Uh, Iran, what they want is for these normalization efforts to to stop. Uh, I don't I don't think much can be done about Israel doing what they're going to do. But at least on the if you were if there was some sort of uh, mutually beneficial arrangement that Israel and Saudi Arabia was pursuing, why not continue to do that? Because otherwise, you're just kind of giving in to this I sort think of. In theory, behavior. the idea is that it that. that the popular will in Saudi Arabia as a result of watching Gaza be turned to glass would no longer permit MBS and his regime from going forward with one of those plans, I think, is the idea. That the, the Arab the Arab world would simply rebel against all of the 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 the, the what do they what do they call the the David Accords or something, whatever the the, the last Abraham like, Accords, more, the one that the uh, Abraham Accords. Yes. There you go. In the last couple of years of the Trump administration, that uh, Kushner was was spearheading, and uh, any any further movement on that front uh, would not be palatable to uh, the Arab world. I mean, who knows? Uh, right. Do do uh, is there any chance that this this unfolding situation in Israel? is going to raise the chances of some sort of terrorist attack either in Europe or the United States in the near future? Because the support is going to come. You know, I mean, the, uh, Biden came out strongly in support of Israel. All the Western European countries are doing the same. So, like, and obviously it's kind of hard not to do that because of just the sheer barbarity of what happened. It's, it's not like just one little thing. It's like a concerted effort to just kill as many people as they could. I mean, this is like... I don't think the, the, the full scope of what happened uh, is maybe clear to everybody, but it, it, this was a big assault on multiple fronts. Um, right. And for some reason, I mean, a staggering failure by the intelligence service for Israel. I don't know. What, how do you fuck this up? I mean, this is a big fuck up. Uh, but like, I, I wonder. So is if, there, is there, 
obviously you we don't follow uh israeli politics very closely uh here as a general rule but for what it's worth uh netanyahu has been going through some shit trying to form a new government uh there's a big fight over there internally about uh judicial reform uh that that is causing the the sort of cause of his problems in terms of domestic politics in addition to a number of corruption charges that he's been facing and dealing with over the last few years. Um, there's reason to believe that perhaps they were distracted, that the that the eyes weren't uh, focused I, I, on I, the right I, thing here. I find that hard to believe because the thing is, b- below the political point, you know, the, the elected leaders and the political appointments, there are just your run-of-the-mill government workers, run-of-the-mill military uh, commanders. So whatever is happening yeah. on the political front should have a no impact on A spectacular intelligence your... failure, yeah. absolutely. Because you they would, had you no information. This... And, and, and this is, once again, there seems to be a black hole when it comes to, maybe it's just a very hard group to penetrate, but anytime there's like a Muslim component or like a Arab component, nobody knows anything. Like remember when the the the... Afghanistan, the Kabul airport uh, suicide. I mean, they kind of like something was happening, but that was the extent of it. Like when Russia does something, you know what Putin had for lunch, you know, where they're moving. It's like for some reason they know everything when like Russia does something. But when it's like some Middle Eastern country does something, nobody knows anything until it happens. I mean, just the fact that this is not a very big place. It's very small. You have all of these tools at your disposal and none, nothing like there was no hint that this was coming. Do you remember where you were on January 25th or 26th of the year 2006? I'll bet you don't. 2006. (laughs) No. (laughs) I happen to uh, remember where I was on either the 25th or the 26th, and it was uh, because that was the day that uh, Hamas uh, rose to power through uh, elections. Oh, they got rid of the Fatah people? Yeah, they, they won... A plurality of the vote and uh, were awarded a majority of the seats, uh, 44% to 41% uh, over the the Fatah party who have uh, uh, since retreated to other parts uh, there. And and they're the Yasser Arafat types. Those are the folks who were uh, loyal to uh, his ideas and a, a more explicit sort of hope for a two-state solution. Whereas uh, the Hamas, when they came to power, uh, explicitly were not. And and uh, the reason that I remember that is not because I was intimately following the day-to-day of the news, but because I walked into Barcode, where Lori was bartending that night, I believe. And sitting at the bar was an old college buddy of mine named Chris Brown. And it was relatively early in the night, so this was either the evening after the day or maybe it was the full day after, which is why I'm not sure if it was the 25th or the 26th. But he was getting a very early drunk on at like 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the evening, right when uh, Barclay he was wont to do. had opened. And he was, he was raising his glass to me as I walked into the bar, and he says, Fucking Hamas, Bob! And that was my... Possibly my introduction to even the notion that Hamas was a thing worth caring about. He was um, bullish on Hamas. Like, have you kept up with this guy? Like, uh, how's it looking now? No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't actually. He was ironically toasting. Okay. No, he was, he, he was. He was not. Okay. He was saying like, 
you know, right. fucking Trump, yeah. Bob. Okay. Like fucking Nick Saban, Bob. Like <laughs> yeah. it's that sort of thing. Yeah. He was uh, extremely displeased with the outcome of the elections, and I, I knew relatively – I don't know how much he knew about it, but he was upset about it and, and therefore well, getting his drunk on. And probably no one else he knew wanted to talk about it because it's a bummer thing to talk about. Oh, you, right, lady. You, don't, you know how uh, uh, like the first go-round of Trump, like if you were to do word association, it would be like the wall, right? You know, like that was like a thing he would uh, – just build the wall. Like Hamas was like destroy all the Jewish people, right? Wasn't that like – Yep, that was so their thing. Like, and that- like if, if we can't uh, come up to a peaceful solution, then we'll get into conflict. It was like, no, conflict first – and then nothing second. Right. So that was my introduction to Hamas. And then, uh, you know, whatever we've learned about them through the years, my feeling in the years that followed was always, well, it's not good, but it it hasn't been quite as bad as it uh, seemed like it could have been, right? Like, be, And that's in part because Israel, under Netanyahu and a couple of other folks who've uh, had power in the interim there since uh, Hamas took over— have tolerated the existence of Hamas. Uh, Some might even say they've been sort of totally fine with Hamas doing their thing in Gaza because it gives them, to some extent, uh, a freedom to isolate them and not have to fucking worry about them anymore because the ruling governing authority of that area is not interested in dealing with Israel in a good faith way. Their stated purpose is to eliminate the state of Israel, right? So they are not a good faith negotiator in any way. And to some extent, that is to uh, Netanyahu and other uh, Israeli conservatives to their benefit, because they can say, "We, ha- we, what is the point? What do you mean we should be uh, nicer to or, or negotiate better with this group of people who explicitly state that we should be wiped off the face of the planet, right? That, that, that we have no right to exist, that we should go back to pre-1948. Uh, never mind uh, whatever, the, 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 the various uh, demarcations through the years. But no, Israel simply shouldn't exist. Uh, as it's constituted. That is Hamas's position. So to some extent, they have proved a useful foil to Israeli conservatives who don't have to bother with any of this peace negotiation stuff, right? right. They just put up the wall. They, 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 they do what they can to repel uh, rocket attacks. Hamas seems to be uh, feisty, and able to uh, garner enough resources to be a pain in the ass from time to time. But uh, essentially, they're just an annoying but effective boogeyman to fight against until Saturday morning, right? right? Until rather suddenly uh, in a massive coordinated attack, they did 9-11 times 10 and and killed a bunch of innocent uh, Israelis. To some extent, one wonders... Uh, maybe this sounds like root cause bullshit, but to what extent is this on the Israeli military and security state for failing to address Hamas in a more serious way over the last few years? And that'll be the conversation that's had internally in Israel, I'm sure. So uh, once again, I, I want to keep reiterating this point. I don't know much about Israel. I, I, like 80% of the stuff I know about Israel happened over the last 72 hours because it's been wall-to-wall coverage. But uh, I was watching this BBC News uh, segment where they had some analysts on, and, and the way they, they described it, like before 2005, Israel actually had people, like military uh, 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 
uh, personnel in Gaza, and then they moved out. And the thinking was, let you know, Palestinians rule themselves over this area. And the best case scenario, somebody was somebody on that show said that the basically they had two choices. Basically, Gaza could be the next Dubai, right? Just like just focus on just building up infrastructure, education, commerce, do your thing, and you're going to be left alone. Or it could be Beirut, just like a total just hellscape, right? And they've kind of, you know, based on what's happened over the last 16 years, is trended towards the latter, right? Like we're basically just like this never-ending need to destroy. Like we, we can't focus on anything else. We need to get rid of these people over there. And that's, that's been like the main focus. Instead right. of trying to, some to build extent, because else they up. haven't, they, to, to be fair, that it's not like they've been allowed to thrive in the same way that right. a completely free state would be permitted to thrive. But like, sorry, that's partially your fault because the people who are in charge there say that their neighbors shouldn't be permitted to exist. And so their neighbors have to be assholes, right? In order to continue to exist, Israel has to be kind of an asshole, unfortunately. Right. Although I do wonder, though, like, you know, yes, uh, 16 years ago, there was the vote. Right. But if and I don't know how irregular elections are over there or know why they haven't had another one. I mean, that's a long that's a long term, 16 years. But if they were to hold another. Let's say I don't think that was a that was an, a that was not a plank okay. of the original uh, Hamas uh, thing was they didn't make any promises about regular elections, I'm sure. Right. But from what I gather, like, it seems like uh they're happy to be elected in, but they're not going to voluntarily be elected out, right? Like, do you think, like, if in, like, 2019, they're like, okay, it's been a while. We forgot to run another election. Uh, we've been holding uh, out for all these years, but we need to have one. August of 2019, we're going to do the votes, and then another party, like a more moderate party, wins. Hamas no, because they're would- a useful – I mean, to some extent, it's because they're a useful proxy for Iran, Right, like, and, and Iran has no interest whatsoever in a two-state solution. No, that's true. It, but what, what I'm saying is that the two million plus people that are in Gaza, if they were to say we don't want it, you know, we thought you were, even though your stated purpose was to destroy Israel, we thought you were just that was just like an opening <laughs> argument or something. But I guess you actually mean what you say. But like, we don't want to do this. Like, this is like not helping. Right, where our lives are getting worse. We want to try a new approach. God, like Hamas wouldn't be like, okay, right? Like, aren't they almost kind of like, it doesn't matter what people want anymore. It may have mattered 17, 16, no, 17 I mean, years they're, ago. they're explicitly Islamist, right? Like, they, they, this is a, this is a, a holy war. This right. is not about satisfying their constituency. It's almost ridiculous to talk about Hamas in any sort of normal political way. This is not a political organization. Like, and, and, and this is where it drives me nuts when you hear American politicians like the squad and, and others and, and even American media types talking about this conflict as though Hamas is anything but a jihadist terrorist right. organization, which is what they've proven to be over and over again since th- – that, that's their plank. Right. It's their whole fucking platform. What are we talking about? It doesn't mean that we have to associate – and, the, and the, they're, you're talking about the different ways that uh, we cut empathy around here. Like 
any discussion about what happened in Palestine and, and across the border in Israel, uh, you must distinguish between uh, the Palestinian people who've endured an open-air prison for the last 16 years and uh, the awful uh, militant Hamas assholes who are the ones uh, causing all the ruckus. Uh, ultimately, though, as a result, of course, of uh, Israeli policies. Right. Uh, there's not a lot of the same consideration given on the other side of the wall there. In terms of uh, the, the 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 normal everyday Jewish citizen uh, who's not associated with the government, uh, because they don't actually believe that there's a distinction. Uh, they believe, I mean, maybe I don't know. Maybe that's not fair. But it seems like they believe that there's any Jew who hangs out in Israel is a colonizer, is someone who ultimately doesn't belong there, and who should extra, uh, extricate themselves from the situation. That that's the only moral answer. Uh, if you're a Jew in Israel, right, is the, to fucking yeah, leave. I, which is like a very like uh, narrow way to look at it. Because again, you can apply that same of narrow mindedness the other way. Like every one of you is a Hamas or Hamas sympathizer, right? Like, right. So it's like it, it is just kind of a weird thing. I will say though, you know, people identify with these movements. I'm with this group or I'm with that group. Like the constantly, not just uh, here with the Israeli issues. The same thing happened with Ukraine or anywhere else. Uh, I always sympathize with just like the random person, you know, like the the guy that's just at the bus stop who just gets mowed down or like the person who's like eating a pizza like and gets like blown to sm- It's just like you're just living. You have no control one way or the other which way the, 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 the people who make these decisions, like which way the, 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 they're going to go. You're just living and then you're just like, oh. You're right. one of the 1,000 people Those are the that people are who are treated as NPCs, as, right. as non-playable characters right. yeah, that- by anybody with an ideological bone in the fight, right? right. Like that's – that they're, they're utterly ignored or, right. or worse, they're just – they're assumed to be on one side or the other of a conflict that exists entirely in your mind or that exists uh, between uh, warring factions of, of power-hungry assholes who don't give a shit about the people on the ground. Right. I sympathize with the – NPCs. That's that's precisely. Yeah, uh, I think that Biden's. We briefly talked about it. I think Biden's statement today was fine. He sounds old as fuck. He uh, also is old as fuck. I do. You know, this is a, uh, at least the second time. You know, um, where there's a big event and 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 the president is not the only one there. He'll have the vice president and either the secretary of state or like a health person if it's a health thing or whatever. Like he'll be kind of have three people, you know, it'll be him at center and on either side will be the vice president and somebody else. And it's constantly the case that the somebody else has always cropped out. It's always like you see mostly Joe Biden and you kind of see Kamala just like in moments of nodding in <laughs> agreement. Of- it's funny. It's There are two ways that I interact with Kamala Harris on a like sort of week to week basis. Yeah. And it's either in the background of yeah. a shot that you're describing here <laughs> or – I see that her Twitter account has retweeted something. And like, that's the full extent that Kamala Harris is in the conversation. It's like the, the vice president retweeted something that the State Department said. It's like, ah, oh, yes, thank you, uh, Vice President Harris. Good job. Um, again, I thought the Biden statement today was, was fine. Uh, one wonders what it looks like a month from now after Israel has done the horrible things that they're going to do there, there yeah there was a lot of that during the uh because after 
Biden gave his speech, they had uh, Jake Sullivan, who had filled most of the questions at the actual uh, uh, White House uh, at the briefing room, and there were a couple of questions that were asked, like, at what point, like, you know, not, not necessarily a red line, but, like, how far are we letting this play out? Like, what if, like, Israel's, like, need to, like, for a pound of flesh goes to such extent that they just destroy everything? Like, would there be a point where they'll is it, say— So is it vengeance? Is it just revenge and pound of flesh stuff? Or is it politically the only thing—and not even not just politically. I mean, I think politically it's obvious, but— but is it realistically the only thing they can do but to eliminate Hamas as a functional organization, uh, but to demand that Hamas is utterly eradicated from Gaza? Like, I, right. to I mean, me, yeah, yeah. I, to it, me, it's it, it's not a crazy thing to expect Israel to do. Is it going to result in more dead people and more harm? And like, yes, and at fucking sucks it and it it sucks in ways that i don't know how i'll feel uh 10 months from now or 10 years from now uh and i don't know they keep calling it such and such a 9-11 right it's it's israel's 9-11 right. and what i know is that i wish that our reaction to 9-11 had been uh, uh fundamentally different than it was i and and maybe that should tell me in this moment that i wish that there was some other way for israel to approach a response to this that wasn't going to result in the death and destruction that I think is sort of inevitable. But I don't know what that would look like. I don't know what the the less awful answer is here right. uh, in I mean, terms the, of what the, they can do. And then as soon as you start thinking about it from a political perspective and the and the and the the interested parties involved on the Israeli side, how can it be anything but that? And I don't know I don't know the answer. Right. Because you, you would think that the the official posture of Israel would be our objective is to degrade uh, Hamas's ability to to carry out this uh, sort of thing, right? We're not going to occupy, you know, Gaza. We're not interested in that. We're just there to do these things. That's right. That, that necessarily damage. means that more Palestinian civilians will die than did Israeli citizens. Right. Because right? I mean, like you described earlier, by, by, by an order of magnitude. Yeah. Because probably. what you said earlier is true. A lot of the uh, military targets are embedded into everyday life. You know, they're at the hospitals, they're at the schools, you know, almost deliberately so, right? To be basically it's like, it, you, you can take us out, but it's going to come at a, at a cost, you know, like a PR cost. And if, if what you were saying earlier, like they're putting their hostages at different places to like, if you want these hostages, don't blow this building up or else you are killing them. You know, like basically right. they're trying to raise the cost of the actions that Israel probably thinks we have to, because you know this is where it's coming from, like this building and that building, and there's no other way. Like we'll we'll absorb the collateral. You know, the the, the terms is very in, uh, inadequate. Collateral damage, like just people just blown to smithereens. But like that's how they're gonna perceive it. But like I, I do think like there is a element of pound of, pound of flesh. It's, it was like that with nine eleven. Like somebody needs to pay. You know, that's a like a Jewish turn of phrase you're using from Shakespeare, right? Oh, is it? Yeah, that's from The Merchant of Venice, where the the evil Jew character oh, no. wanted a pound of flesh from <laughs> the protagonist. Did you not know that? I did not know that. Yeah, you're you're doing a you're doing a racism a little bit. Yes, but I did. it's okay because yeah. it's Shakespeare. I was not aware of that connection. Well, yeah. now you know. Bloodlust is that a Jewish thing? No. Okay. 
But again, like I said, this is when when these kind of events happen. You know, there, there was a lot of comparisons to they're behaving like ISIS, not unlike ISIS, 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 because they're saying like the brutality was like on a scale that like it's not your typical like we're gonna attack this target and then go back and 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 launch missile, you know, rockets or whatever. This is like butchering people, right? And so like you want a visceral kind of like image of like we're doing this to rile people up to get some sort of violent reaction to say, oh my God, look what they're doing to us. Like I think that, that that's what they're going for. Yeah, they're going for that and they're using people that they've convinced are literally going to uh, live in heaven forever with their virgins uh, for eternity as a result of having been martyred, right? Like it's it's that it's that level of of cultish belief in 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 what their reward is going to be uh and the practical realities of that mean that uh, a bunch of fucking innocent women and children and and other pizza enjoying palestinians uh are are going to be murdered as a result that fucking sucks like that's Putting aside all of the the moral outrage and the upset about people saying the wrong thing in a moment of of great consequence, this is just going to be an ongoing calamity for uh, an extended period of time. And, uh, and everybody kind of knows it as they have seen the the scenes unfold because you know what this means. Like it's not going to stop here. This is now for every one person you kill, there's going to be like three or four people that are going to be killed. The other side, like, is this going to be? I mean the, the the body count will 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 be staggering. Right, which is why one worries or or wonders how long the world gives Israel to pursue its its vengeful course uh before they start to get upset, but then internally I don't think it's going to matter. Like right. I, to some extent Israel's going to do what it's going to do uh because the internal politics are going to be such that uh this is not something that is remotely acceptable. So it, the the response must be overwhelming. Do we have anything else to say about this before we move on? Nope. No. All right. Uh, I want to play a quick clip from an NPR segment from this morning. I was driving around in the car listening to it. Is it about baseball? It is not. Back here in the U.S., about one in three kids is not in school as often as they are supposed to be. Chronic absenteeism peaked in the COVID pandemic, but now, almost two years into the return to in-person learning, schools are still struggling to get kids to show up. Grant Blankenship of Georgia Public Broadcasting has more. It's the first cool day of fall in Macon, Georgia, and Principal Kizzy Lott is in a floppy green poncho and baby blue rubber boots. So students can dump water on her head. Let's get your bucket. You only get a bucket if you've been regularly coming to school. And by now, Watt is wet. The poncho does nothing. The poncho does nothing. This is fun, but in truth, it's a kind of soft diplomacy. There's a message Lot needs these kids to take home today to their grown-ups and their friends who missed school. Especially in our early grades. That's Lot drying off in a conference room in her school, Bruce Elementary. She says caregivers of little kids might think, Oh, they're just playing all day. But no, that's where the foundation of reading and the foundations of mathematical skills begins. Students missing enough instruction to threaten those foundations was already a problem for Lot's school before COVID. COVID supercharged absenteeism at her school. 
That was true for the surrounding county school district and, says Stanford University researcher Thomas D., it was true for the nation. D. studies the economics of education, including chronic absenteeism, which is defined as missing 10% of potential school time. So a month into school, that's two days. Over a school year, that's like 18 days. D. says a lot of kids fall into this category. Prior to the pandemic, it hovered around 15%, which was already considered too high. The last good federal statistics on chronic absenteeism date to 2015. So D went state to state, collecting his own attendance data for 2022, the first year when kids were back in classrooms. My sense was that people were ready to get back to normal. So I'll confess I was surprised by the really sharp rise in chronic absenteeism. What he found and describes in a study published in August was a doubling of the pre-COVID absenteeism rate across the country in districts both urban and rural. That means nearly one in three students missed too much school even when things were, quote, back to normal. What he's unsure of is why. He found no correlation to community COVID infections. Or whether a state either adopted a masking mandate during that return to schooling or banned masking mandates. It was such a broad phenomenon. Preliminary data indicates the level of chronic absenteeism, which surprised D in 2022, persisted in Georgia in 2023, the second post-pandemic school year. And Georgia generally tracks the national average for chronic absenteeism. Back in Macon, Principal Kizzy Lott's school district knows their 2023 rate was higher than the previous year. Lott has a few guesses why. Homelessness is real. Financial struggles that may affect utilities, that is real. Things are happening within families, whether it's illness, it's death. Those things are real-life things that affect a child's attendance. Things tied to poverty. That's why Lot's staff checks in with caregivers after a child's first absence to ask, how can we make it easy to get to school? Sometimes there's no cooperation. In that case, there's court. Because Georgia has a law mandating school attendance. Kristen Murphy is a local prosecutor who handles absenteeism cases. She says they rarely end in conviction. At the end of the day, the most important thing is the kids being in school. If caregivers can make that happen, Murphy tells them they don't have to see a judge. So that there's that carrot dangling in front of them that I'm not going to get prosecuted if I bring my kids to school. I'm going to pause for one second here. Uh, Obnoxiously so, 30 seconds before the end of the clip. (laughs) To say... That's not a carrot, you asshole. That's a (laughs) stick. That's a stick, yeah. Yeah. You're the prosecutor threatening to throw the parents in jail if the kids don't go to school, not having to go see a judge. The carrot is your shitty life. Potentially, go to jail. You get to keep your shitty life and you don't get to go to jail. That's the stick. It's all stick. When you're the state, you fucking dumbass. The uh, soft diplomacy the was the, the carrot. No, 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 no. It's all stick. <laughs> come There's no come carrot. play with the water. This, is- this kind of deal-making typically takes about a year to complete, a year in which kids will have missed school. At Bruce Elementary, Principal Kizzy Lott would really rather not use courts to get her students where they need to be. All right, you ready? We got to get up high. Higher, higher. So she's planning more fun things. To encourage them to come to school. For NPR News, I'm Grant Blankenship in Macon, Georgia. All right, as that uh, segment wrapped up, my son, who was in the car with me listening on our way to school, 
said, that's a good idea. More fun things in school, and then they'll want to go to school. I said, yeah, but that is a good idea. Uh, but that's not why I'm sharing it. And then, of course, my thing about the, the carrot and the stick is not why I'm sharing it and either. And then the thing where you have a thing for principles being bukkake, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, it, it comes up from time to time in my life that I have to go watch a principal get uh, a whole bunch of things thrown upon their body uh, for my amusement. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I, and take pictures of it. I, yeah. I do have a question. While they're dangling the stick uh, at the, the parents, like, are they not asking them, like, what, uh, what's the deal? Like, I, I you know, there, there was that person who was giving their guests, like, oh, it's like homelessness or what? All these other things that it can't be. I mean, maybe some of it is that, but that can't account for doubling the already high 15%, right? Like, what, what's going right. on? And, and to say nothing of the fact that, like, we, by giving everyone multiple thousands of dollars, we apparently stopped child poverty uh, for, like, right. a year, for a uh, which is ludicrous. Uh, I mean, a silly way of, there's, of like, doing an artificial the line there. they came up with, and they're above it, and technically they, they're above the poverty line. So it's like uh, right, and then everything your sixty dollars in groceries now costs one hundred and ten dollars. It and is like, a <laughs> superficially true right. statement. It doesn't really mean anything. But again, why? So she's grasp. The, the principal here is grasping for things. Right. Obviously, the reporter is grasping for things. The reason that I'm sharing this is because it strikes me as incredibly obvious what's going on okay. here, and I wonder uh, what. Not not that this is a quiz or anything. I have a hypothesis. What? Do you think that there's a, an answer here for why chronic absenteeism might be more of a thing now in 2023 than it was in years past? So I, I don't – you know, the, the one thing I was thinking of is like, you know, child care is an expensive thing. So when school was out, like it was a pressure on the parents. But when school came back, I thought that would alleviate some of that pressure because, hey, for like eight hours – get out of here right so i thought if you were having like financial strains like you would think like oh the school can take care of my kids for these seven eight hours i can be gainfully employed to kind of shore up my finances you can or all the kids are in school you could do all right lady relax <laughs> but 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 beyond, but since that's not the dynamic here i have no idea like what, what is your guess i don't it can be obvious whatever it is it is. It's extremely obvious okay. to me. Mm, let's see. Uh, <laughs> Can't think of it. <laughs> so, as I've said in this show before, uh, we spent our entire lives up until 2020 hearing how important it is for children to be in school. That it's like the most important thing is that the children have to be in school. And then in 2020, and for a year or so, or at least for a few months, depending on where you were in the country, right? Uh, it went from uh, anywhere from a few months to a year and a half of your kid not being in school because, in fact, it wasn't the most important thing. And uh, in, the, in the interim there, while they were home, you watched and they sat there in front of the fucking computer like lumps, and they didn't appear to really learn anything right. for like a year and a half. And in fact, uh, a lot of them, they weren't even supervised, and they were just fucking dicking around. And they were playing games on their computer, and they were barely present, uh, even though they were technically in front of the camera. Uh, school, it sure looked like, 
didn't fucking matter at all. And that, and being there, uh, didn't fucking matter at all. That was the message that we were told, uh, for that 18 month period. Why are we surprised in the, in the aftermath of that to discover that people learned that lesson? That, that it's not that big of a deal if your kid isn't in school. Uh, and and uh, like to me, it's like extremely obvious. It's also obvious to me why this would be a source of potential or a spot of potential blindness for uh, a certain kind of institutionalist, right. like an academic who's studying this sort of thing or a reporter for NPR uh, who sort of so inherently has always believed in the primacy of – a public education and the importance of getting your child in a desk uh, to be publicly educated in that way, that they, they don't even question it. And they can live with the cognitive dissonance of public school is incredibly important, but also, on the other hand, it was incredibly important that these kids stay home for 18 months. Like that, for whatever reason, they're able to make those two things work in their heads at the same time. To me, like, it's obvious that if you show a group of people that in fact there are priorities greater than uh forcing their kids to be in school all the time yeah it's not oh you're not oh and by the way during those two years if you have a sniffle you have to stay home or we're going to send you home from school right that was the policy of most of the school districts uh over the course of the two years of the pandemic was the hint of a of a slightly elevated temperature or the sniffles or a sore throat fucking keep them home Right. It is more important that they not come to school than that they do come to school. And uh, the parents learn that lesson. So now it doesn't surprise By the way, me that's at all gone. that they're Calvin not there. was sick for like two weeks. Oh, didn't. No one said anything. No. Let me, OK, I, I have a couple of questions because uh, the, the, this uh, obvious theory, there's a few issues that I have. OK, first of all, uh, it was obvious to me, too. <laughs> it, he didn't ask me. Yeah. And so maybe I'm, it's, it's obvious know. if you have. But Kids. it was obvious to but me. But yeah, too. this wasn't obvious to me because okay, so all right. Uh they they didn't mention this in the story that we just played, but like are are they seeing are they seeing this absenteeism across the socioeconomic board? Like are well to do parents also pulling back their kids just like financially they didn't mention it, but no, probably not as much, but probably more. No, because the fucking well-to-do parents would. sent their kids to private school as soon as the public school right. shut down. Right. It was like, well, right, I mean, I, I don't guess mean we're well paying, to do. I guess we're paying for tuition. N- not that well-to-do, well, but not like, just, just not just that, but like even the the us parents yeah. sound awful. Yeah, you're like, ah, they can miss a day. Like, I feel like there's probably more. Yeah, I let him stay home because he seemed tired. So he stayed home. And, and, and so, okay. You so, know, because we know they're not doing anything. So that's the, the second question or point of clarification I would like. Are, do you imagine that these parents who are like, ah, fuck it, uh, are they picking up that slack or the kids are just doing no. whatever they want on that day off? So, no, I, I, so again, so just to be clear, they are comparing in person school learning, which they aren't judging. They're judging this, the <coughs> universally reviled remote learning that wasn't right. very conducive to anything, right? They're saying, oh, this sucked, and so the, the in-person environment is also sucky? 
No, but what I'm saying is that the message that went out went from it is crucial that your children be in school every day to it is not that important, relatively speaking. And that if you tell people that, even if they believed the first thing, some percentage of people are going to be amenable to, oh, maybe it's not that big a deal. Even uh, though the pandemic era showed significant drop-offs in all the metrics, right? So they're, they're, they're still sticking to the, it didn't matter. Like the, the reading right, number went down. This, what, the is this cu- what is this coupled with culturally speaking? It's coupled with uh, the diminishment of our respect for institutions writ large across every single institutional domain, right? We don't believe government works. We don't believe the schools work. We don't believe college is worth going to. Uh, but we don't believe that the police fucking work. We like we over every single, we don't, we don't trust the goddamn media at all, right. even but worse all, than all of those other things that I just all, said. All of those things are true, but all of those things are to the detriment of the people, right? Like not believing in the, 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 the way the media works as far as the news consumption, despite all their flaws, much preferable than this garbage social media way of consuming news is, right? Much preferable, right? All of the other metrics, yeah, you, you don't like cops. I'm not saying they're right, no, Abe, I'm I'm not, Right, I'm not <laughs> saying that they're correct that their kids don't need to go to fucking school. Right. I think it's I, – I still maintain that it's super important for my kid to be in school every day. Right. Uh, Except last Thursday. Fuck last Thursday. <laughs> we had a place to be. Right. Right. I guess I, maybe I, I'm just far removed from like kids and, and school. But it just to me – it is such an incoherent way to to reach it. Like this doesn't matter. Where all the evidence You're not shows, it doesn't matter. Thinking it, it's not an active. Right. School doesn't matter, so I'm keeping my kid home. Right. It's an it's a subconscious okay. thing. There's going to be, right. I and, mean, it's a, and it's the sort of thing that's not going to be discoverable in any sort of study of this fashion, right? So, like, this is a complete. This is why I say it's like it's a spot of blindness for anybody looking into it. In all likelihood, but you, you don't think there's going to be some sort of they're going to tease out some result like when this current crop of kids they're the graduating class of I don't know twenty thirty one or something. They're like, oh, remember those sliver of absentee kids well they're fucking dumb now look at this like those those days off did not pay off as those parents those initially thought. kids that's the thing like it's they're all dumb it's all that they have to just recalibrate everything right everything is bad <laughs> and and they're all in the same place at least of bad yeah like i i yeah like our kids are fine and and that's great but it's it's so many of them are so bad. I I would have I would have I'm so far out of the loop that I would have guessed like there would be a story where parents are redoubling their efforts and they're going out of their way to kind of make up for lost ground and all this stuff. I didn't think they would like lean into well, but this failed way. That's the thing. Like Bob said, the parents that give a shit about it yeah. have done the work that you have to do to make it. You know, right. like we did because yeah. they were home and. We yeah. made sure that yeah. everybody was doing what they should be doing. Right. The parents that didn't give a fuck during remote learning don't suddenly give yeah. a fuck now. Yeah. The people who don't read to their kids. It's all the same people. I don't envy those kids. Well, you know, fucking root causes. It's not their fault either. You've been it's listening. It's not their fault. No one read to them. Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show at... Brainiron.com, castironbrains.com for a 
show notes. Send us an email, brainironpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any alternative theories as to why kids aren't in school anymore, don't email me about that. That would be incredibly boring of you to do, uh, both for you to do and for me to read. Instead, uh, you can complain maybe about our uh, our Zionist take on uh, the Israeli-Palestine uh, conflict or what have you. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig, tetramermusic.com, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com for more from him. Still waiting to say something so wildly offensive and out of step with Mark's delicate sensibilities that he finally says, would you stop saying my goddamn first and last name at the end of your awful show all the time, you dick. I'm surprised that hasn't uh, happened yet. Apparently he's either not listening or I haven't quite crossed that line yet. He's just happy now. Yeah. Abe, did you make it to the movies this week. I did. I went to go see, I mean, uh, boy, slim pickings this month. Uh, I went to go see Saw X. You know, they're still making Saw wow. movies. I don't believe you. I don't think that's a thing that happened. Saw X. Apparently it's like the 10th installment of this uh, franchise. It's, ten. it's not X. X they're, it's 10. The thing. They're Even though, right on pace with Fast and the Furious right. franchise. Although they're not all huh? Saws, right? There, there's like that one with uh, Chris Rock. It was like some other thing. Spiral. A Saw. Ver- mm-hmm. You know, they... they the naming are they counting that I, in the I, counting? I, I can't imagine they had like ten just on their own. I think it had to. They must be. Did they do like a jigsaw origin story too, or something like that? Right? Yeah. Like, uh, they probably did. But get this: Rotten Tomatoes has this currently in the 80th percent, like eighty-one uh, percent okay. fresh, whatever, and then ninety percent audience score. Uh, I went to go see this movie before seeing these scores, and uh, I did not like this movie at all. Like I. I think I just don't like the main guy. Like, there's. Have you seen the other saws? I've seen right, so I, I a just, good number. Wait, of them. I went to the wiki to figure this shit out, yeah. and it was saws one through. So it was saw yeah. in October of 2004, which I uh, was greatly entertained by. I must confess, it sure. was good. I enjoyed that one uh, to some extent. Uh, none of the other ones, but we got saw two. A year later, and then oh six, oh seven, oh eight, oh nine, saw uh, saws three through six. Saw three D came out in twenty ten, and that is that is the seventh in the series. Jigsaw was uh, after a seven year break in twenty seventeen, which they're counting as film eight. Spiral uh, in twenty twenty one was number nine, and then here we are uh, with Saw X or Saw ten. In uh, 2023. So even though this was the 10th of the franchise, the, the, it takes place somewhere around the first one, first or second one. Okay. So this schmuck, this asshole, who I, I mean, I don't like this guy. Uh, he has like, he's battling cancer, right? And in, 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 the, in, in, in the movie, he's like... Are it, we referring to like the, 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 the main protagonist, guy. the yeah. primary victim? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever his name is, is it Tobin Bell? Or? No, no, not the victim. The, the victim or the the perpetrator, the perpetrator. of the, his scheme? Oh, okay, yeah. Jigsaw yeah. himself. Yes, Jigsaw the big guy. bad. Don't care for this guy the at antagonist. all because yeah. he is like battling cancer, right? And in between sessions of like chemo or whatever he's going through, right? He should be otherwise a sympathetic character, but in between chemotherapy sessions, he's like out in the park, like doodling future 
contraptions to like ruin people's eyes and legs. He's like, oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's gonna fuck up his left right. leg, and it's gonna do this to his eye. Like he's still, you think he was let up? Like oh, this gives me some newfound nope. perspective. Sitting on the park bench, becoming visibly aroused in front of all of the children while imagining his future torture devices. What a sicko! And and he um, like. Again, he, he has cancer, and the people who he uh, entraps in his little scheme are people who are trying to exploit people's desperation. So, like, the doctor is like, yo, six months or whatever, like, make your peace, you're, you're done, right? There's no, like, medicine. There's no, like, we can't do anything for you, right? That's, like, the reality of the situation. Right. It sucks. Uh, and then there are these, like, uh, websites, like, oh, we have the cure, and uh, the governments don't want us to know about this. Right, like, uh, like shaman charlatan yeah. types or something. And they're like, right? yeah, yeah, yeah we have to be in hiding because the big bad government, they're in bed with the pharmaceutical people. That sounds like a worthy target for a sadistic killer right. to, uh, so, to try to take out. The main person, yes. So like the main, like uh, she's like the daughter of the guy who's running the scheme. So I don't know what happened to the father. He's just out of the picture. But she's continuing the scam, right? And he not only gets her into his little uh, vice, right? He, everybody who was part of it, however small. So like the taxi driver that was given like 50 bucks to send their way. And like the, the lady who pretends like, oh, this thing works. Like to kind of give the person more hope. Like, oh, like this happened to me. My leg had cancer and now it doesn't. Like, you know, just lies. But just to kind of give the person the hope so that they can part with the money, which is what they're after, right? Get the money and go. Mm -hmm. So there's like six people that are like not equally culpable, but they're all. Hey, but I'm afraid that Jigsaw is just extremely devoted to sorting out the root causes here. <laughs> and he recognizes that if you don't get the entire rotten plant out by the root, every single tentacle of it needs to go. <laughs> Or else that taxi driver might do something bad to someone else in the future. The uh, I will say on the all. plus side, I mean, if you're into just the goriness of like, you know, they they're giving them these impossible choices. Like, you know, you gotta cut your leg off in like 90 seconds, or you know, you'll be beheaded. Right? It's like like, and you physically. I mean, I know in real life you possibly couldn't do that. You wouldn't you pass out at some point? You can like fully cut off. Yeah, your brain tends to stop Depends. you from doing those sorts of but things. But these people no. were committed. They, they they do the whole thing, and they still get beheaded. Like, the whole thing is just a scam. But, like, he treats everybody equally. They're all dying. It's just, like, there's no proportion to his uh, punishments. Like, well, and I didn't care for that. So the movie uh, gets a, a thumbs up. In, in the eyes of God or Jigsaw, even... <laughs> Even your finest clothes are but dirty rags uh, to the Lord and Jigsaw. But yeah, so that, that was uh, the, the extent of what I saw then, you know, the, uh, the the college football in the NFL. Yep. Yeah, we and watched... the baseball. Uh, and we the watched baseball. A lot of, we watched... Uh, first, we watched the Goosebumps movie with Jack Black with the children. Uh, it it's Halloween time. It was a... What's the name, full it's title like, of that? It's Goosebumps. Goosebumps. Okay. Uh, the, the first the one. Novels. The novels. Okay. From 2017, maybe, maybe, or something like that? Or, yeah, it was R.L. Stein. Oh. Uh, we had to explain to Katie how they pay actors. And it was fine. It, like, it was it's, fine. It, whatever. It's like C plus, B minus okay. kind of kids movie, I think. Who it's, cares? it's one of those that upsets me because like, I feel like we should be demanding a much 
higher level of uh, entertainment for I our children. I gave you that article. They made it a show. Yeah, apparently the show is going to be good. Uh, the show has gotten so, very like, asked and received. It's coming up reviews. like uh, it's not out yet. It's I think it's just out this week or something, or it's out this coming yeah. up this month. Oh. Uh, maybe we'll check that out as well. Again, we watched uh, plenty of football. Of course, the Georgia game was, so much. It was great. really fantastic. I was waiting for yet another slow first quarter, and like, nope, just no. That was never going to happen. Uh, to the whole day, Saturday was great. I was getting everything done that I needed to get done. I went for a run through the my normal path here around the UVA stadium. Mm-hmm. These UVA fans were even in a good mood. Oh wow! Because they were going to beat William and Mary. So like. The vibe here was good, which is where I am. And then I knew because I was excited to get home and watch the noon game with Texas and Oklahoma oh, and then watch the 330 game with Alabama and A&M. And I was like, oh, Athens is going to be great today because like everybody's going to have something to do right. all the way up until seven o'clock. There was no... There was no other way that game was going to go. And for some s- reason, Lori thinks that translates to the product on the field. It's all connected, in Bob. In a way that matters. It's all connected. I mean, obviously, it's what happens, so you can't Does deny. Does home field advantage matter or not? Cannot deny reality. Uh, it was a very satisfying game to watch from a, a Georgia fan's perspective, certainly. The defense has got a lot of give in it, but not, but, but didn't break too much, right? There's a little, little bendy. Right. But not too much breaky. What was um, uh, Stoops' brother's uh, comments after? Like the Georgia bought their players or something? He said they paid. He said you can buy players yeah. now. See, so again. That people what, should donate to Kentucky. What's with the, uh, the, the the poor sports? Like just, like you lost. Just like it's fine. Also, He's I don't did, know. That's the thing. He's just saying you want to win bigger games. What are, what are Carson Beck's big endorsement yeah. deals that he's got? What are you talking about? It's fucking Brock Bowers wasn't recruited. Brock Bowers sent a video of himself running up and down a vineyard in Napa Valley in order to get the attention of the Georgia coaches. What the fuck are you talking about? Carson, I'm surprised that they don't have anything for Beck. I mean, he had that like stoner face. Like they should have put him on anything food related, you know? He'll just be like, ah, oh, just eat the sandwich. Yeah, Taco Bell type guy. Yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll clean up. We also had to watch the Braves game. Uh, the Saturday Braves game was a real bummer oh, while that yeah. was going on. Braves got shut out. That but then, was on the second TV. No yeah. one was watching that. We were watching football. I was watching. I watched every pitch. I just didn't get to listen to so it. So you weren't um, uh, you weren't concerned about a uh, slow start by Georgia on Saturday? Were you concerned by a slow start by the Braves offense? Like, were you? Was that? A yes, concern? I was very very despondent after that game because the Braves hadn't been shut out since May. Uh, was the last oh, time wow. the Braves were shut out. And and the fact that the Dodgers also got shelled in their first game after sitting out the, the, the wild card round where Kershaw comes out and he hasn't thrown a meaningful pitch in 10 days and gives up six runs in the first inning. And this is, uh, I mean, this is a guy who's a Hall of Fame pitcher, uh, one of the best of his generation, one of the greatest of all time, and has proven to be entirely human in the playoffs. He's just not... He hasn't proven to be a great big game pitcher. He's a very um, average uh, pitcher when you look at his numbers in the playoffs, despite being a Hall of Famer in the regular season. So maybe there's a little bit of that. But also, 
Like there's something about the way this current playoff system is set up where the best teams in baseball don't play for a week or more in between the end of the regular season and the start of the uh, divisional round, which leads to, though they have home field advantage in the divisional round, it leads to this weird situation where teams come out of the wild card round. Uh, and in this, in this case, everybody swept. So there were no three game series in the wild card round. There wasn't a lot of drama, but either way, it's like a whole bunch of momentum for these teams that are only squeaking into the playoffs and then winning a big playoff round. And then it's like, okay, we're going to, then we have to go to the other team stadium and yeah, they have a better record throughout the year and they presumably are the sort of better team as, as borne out by uh, the results over the course of a 162 game season. But the energy is all wrong, right? Like it's the team coming in has all the goddamn energy. And that's what it felt like in game one of this series against the Phillies. So you're saying energy does matter. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Poo-pooing Lori's energy theory. And now it's all about the Lori's big- energy theory was about her feeling of the UVA people around our town and how that probably translated <laughs> to a feeling in Athens around the stadium that had absolutely nothing to do with the combatants on the field of play. Clearly played a role. I mean, did you not see the game? I mean, clearly it worked. Yes, you know, clearly played a role. So. As far as the, this gap between the end of the season and then the the first game, the better teams play, like, so that they miss the wild card. Like, the Braves try to, like, oh, we'll do, like, this little scrimmage thing during the week to kind of keep the— They invited fans, right? Yeah. They said that we're going to throw open sit, the doors sit at, wherever. At, at Truist Park, yeah. come hang out. But obviously that didn't Watch do us. the trick, right? I mean, because they still were—it took a yeah, little while— but who knows what you can attribute it to? Like, yeah, I, I'm, just, I'm saying that the energies are off. But like, to me, maybe it's just a fucking baseball game. And that's like that's why the playoffs are such fucking nonsense in baseball. Anyway, like the Braves proved unequivocally they're the best team in baseball this year. You watch the regular season. You look at any of the numbers. They were one of an all-time offense, historically uh, uh, an unbelievable offense. And on top of that, they had a pretty good pitching staff too. And then you look at the starters, and it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like Max Fried only started like 10 games or something. This is the, supposed to be their best pitcher. Spencer Strider had a great year, but it wasn't like a, a world-beating sort of year. They got a phenomenal year out of Bryce Elder, who kind of sucks, uh, probably. Like, <laughs> who's too young to have necessarily figured it out. Kyle Wright, uh, who was uh, uh, arguably an ace uh, last year, uh, missed a large bulk of the year because of injury and then kind of sucked when he finally came back because he's probably not completely ready to go yet. Uh, the point is, they got a lot of uh, pitching performance out of dudes that you weren't expecting to have to get good pitching from on top of having uh, one one of the all-time great world-beating offenses in the history of the sport. And it doesn't fucking matter because on any given day, in any given short series, like a five-game series is, it can suddenly turn to shit because that's just the nature of the sport. Uh, it is a, a double whammy, right? Because, yeah, they, they have this uh, break and then it's a best of five. So if you get behind two games like the Dodgers are, I mean, they're basically done now, right? How do you come? Yeah, Dodgers are in big trouble. The Braves were very nearly in big trouble until one of like an absolute instant classic of a baseball game last night where uh, part of me wishes that we had tried to record last night oh. because uh, we would have been sitting here and I could have hit the button and then so watched. Israel. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Uh, but the end of that game last yeah! night. 
the end of the game last night was one of the most thrilling ends to a postseason baseball game. Like, as you get walk-off homers and walk-off offense, that's always fun. But walk-off defense in a oh, baseball game is just fucking spectacular. Um, but the best part is that the walk-off defense, you guys get sports wrong. It's The best part is that it's the guy who's the fan of the team that did the thing. I don't know what you're talking that, about. That it was Michael yeah. Harris Jr. who grew up in Atlanta. Well, sure, but like half of these dudes grew up in the in the Braves uh, sphere of influence. That's uh, not that grew up unusual. Down the street. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. But Michael Harris uh, makes a well. First of all, in the eighth inning, Austin Riley hits a two-run homer to give the Braves uh, the lead, which uh, everybody's fucking freaking out. It's awesome. But the play that uh, will be remembered forever in uh, in baseball history is uh, <clears throat> with a runner on first, Bryce Harper, and one out, and the Braves leading uh, five to four in the top of the ninth inning. Nick Castellanos hits a, a, a long fly ball to right center field, and in the moment, I thought, "Well, fuck." Now we're going to have to bat in the bottom of the ninth because I thought it was gone right. off the bat. It was absolutely scorched out there. Uh, but Michael Harris, and you watch the replay, takes a near-perfect route, like in terms of efficiency, to the ball. Covers 95 or 98 feet in uh, five seconds and a little bit of change. And leaps into the wall and makes the catch. And then stands up and immediately uh, throws the ball back to the infield. Where Bryce Harper has rounded second base by a good 10 feet or so before the catch is made. And now has to turn his ass around, touch second base, and make it back to first base uh, before the ball gets there. And uh, the ball gets past Ozzy Albies, who should have uh, scooped it and thrown to first. But Austin Riley is, like, streaking across the field, apparently because he was just trying to yell 1-1-1 at whoever was going to be near the ball because he wanted the ball to be thrown to first base. But as it turns out, it was him. And the ball bounces, and he picks it up, and he fires to first base. And fucking Bryce Harper has to eat shit over there because he's goddamn out. And the the best part about it is that when you listen to it, and if you, you just listen to the crowd noise uh, feed, because there's like a million different highlights out yeah. there, I'll make sure in the show notes there's the one, or maybe I'll just play it here, but... The, the crowd uh, goes fucking nuts when Michael Harris catches the ball, right? And you think, that's the peak, right. right? That's people losing their goddamn minds, excited about the fact that a crazy thing just happened. And then there's a slight lull. Right. And when that out call is made at first base because Harper is out, it then goes like double what it was before. It's one of my favorite things about hearing crowds is when it's like I have experienced the peak of it. And then like in three seconds later, the peak then doubles again. It's like, whoa, how did you assholes even have that in you? That was amazing. Ready to fire 2-2. In the air, out towards right center field. Harris going to go back. Harris back to the warning track. He leaps. Michael's got it. He's got it. They fired it in, and it rolls across the infield. Taken by Riley. He no throws play. to the back. No they play. double him off. Ball game over. Braves win. I've never seen a play like that. Braves even up the series. It was back to the wall. Harris went to the wall. Harper took off. He made a leaping catch of the wall. Fired it in. It rolled past Albies. Backing up the play was Riley. He secured it through to the bag. Doubled off Harper and the Braves even up the series. 
Craziest double play you're ever going to see. What a catch by Michael Harris. You know, uh, you're right because, you know, initially you're thinking the focus is on once the ball is hit, is this going to be enough to, to be a homer? So you're worried about that. And once the catch is made, you're so fixated on that. I don't think a lot of people at the at the game were cognizant of, like, Bryce Harper. And, and I do wonder on that point, is there, like, a advanced metrics thing that says, like, be a little aggressive in that setting? Or was he— There is. So glad you asked. Bob told me this morning what the advanced metric is on that. And which is it? Did Harper? I think Lori's being sarcastic. Lori's being <laughs> no, no, a little no. bit sarcastic here. No, no, no. You said here. six out of ten times that that is a. According to the uh, speed with which the ball was hit and the uh, launch angle, six out of ten times that's a base hit or a, a, a safe. That ball lands safely. So it... that does not account for uh, the peculiarities of Michael Harris too. Uh, like it doesn't it doesn't include necessarily his abilities or or his maximum like because it's hard to do defensive metrics uh, really. But Harper's instinct was correct. His instinct was this is going to fall. And if I am booking it around second base at the time that the guy gets near the ball, then I will be able to score. Right. right. Like that was his so, plan. Yeah, so he wasn't being overly greedy. It was a calculated risk. No. There was a calculated risk, uh, and he had every reason to believe that that ball was going to drop based on the way that it came off the bat. Uh, my only question is, in a situation like that, even if he's standing on second base and watching it unfold, I think he's still got a pretty good chance if that ball bounces off of the wall, given that you know that Michael Harris is going to be going max effort and like, because his goal is going to be to catch it. It's not going to be to play it safe and try to keep runners at first and third. He's going to be going absolutely right. all out for it. So the chances that the ball bounces off the wall and goes careening around the outfield away from someone's grasp are actually kind of high. Right. So if you play it relatively safe in the moment and just camp out at second base and see what happens, so like a- then you, there's a increased chance that you're going to score anyway and it guarantees that you can get can get back to first base before they can throw you out so you would have hedged Um, you would have advanced a second but you wouldn't have been rounding it correct i think that would have been the the prudent and also just in terms of the likely outcomes i think you still have a pretty good chance of scoring on that play if it falls in anyway but holy shit am i glad that uh it didn't because uh i mean i was extremely excited uh, when that uh, play happened (laughs) Uh, my uh my uh, one of my friends went to the game and uh, throughout, you know, it was just looking. Oh my god, it's happening again! You know, like you think, okay, a game one, not very good, but they'll 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 bounce back. They'll be fine. Yeah, a no hitter through five, and then the fucking uh, it was a total bummer until the seventh inning, right? Until the after the stretch. Yeah. I honestly thought that uh, the, the friend of mine was going. I was going to hear him say like I had already left because like just he just sounded very like one of these like not a wet blanket, but just kind of overly right. like. <laughs> Like, ah, oh, we're going to lose. It sucks, blah, blah, blah. Is he Mike D? Uh, is he? Is no, that's just some... It could be Mike. It could be Naveed. I, it could be Tyler. It could be literally a lot of people. almost any of my friends uh, who are just total bummers about the about the game as it's going on. Somebody must have left, though, right? I, I don't mean, know, man. It, it still looks pretty packed. Dude, like, uh, probably not. Somebody's like, ah, oh, fuck this. I'm going to beat traffic, and we'll see. But yeah. now that they, uh, you know... Uh, 
you would think that this series is over now, right? They they kind of found their groove. They're no, back in it. No, absolutely not. Games we have left. no idea what's oh. going to happen next. It's, they're going to crush these Phillies. Please don't speak out. that way. You're the worst. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the bad news is that the game three is tomorrow at 5.07 p.m., and I have a PTO board meeting at 6 p.m. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> you should probably tell them to reschedule uh, that. But it is at a it is at a brewery, so I assume that the, the there will be televisions there. So. Uh, there are televisions. That's like a soccer-type bar? I'm going to insist that the Braves playoff game is on while I'm uh, PTO board meeting it. So uh, the Baltimore Orioles have been eliminated from the playoffs. Oh, um, holy shit. And so, like, the, oh. They were the other best team in baseball if this it, year. Yeah. If it weren't for the Braves turning things around, like, they would have been down 2-0. The Dodgers would be down 2-0. They already are. The Orioles are out. It would have been, like, a weird thing. Like, the best record teams, it's like, what's the point? You play from April yeah. through October or through September, and then you just get eliminated immediately. That's going to be a bummer. That's why I always think it's stupid when people get excited about baseball before October. You it's, it doesn't none yeah. of that matters. Yeah. But that's the fun part. Like it's the that what makes baseball so great is that it is uh it's about establishing and forming your identity over the course of an impossibly long season. And playoffs are a fucking crapshoot afterwards, which is why to some extent, uh though this will never happen, my preference in terms of a baseball playoff system is still and will forever be you have the two best teams in each league play a seven-game league championship series for the pennant, and then you have a World Series, and that's it. Go that's back the to how full it used extent to be? of the playoffs. Okay. Yes, it should just be two uh, rounds of the playoffs: a league championship series and then the World Series. Somebody does. I them. liked that the um, the sports people on the TV and in the Twitter were like, "Oh my God, I've never seen anything like that before!" And then all the sports writers were like, "Give me a second. And then they had to do all their research. And then they were like, yeah, no, that hasn't happened before. No, there's never been there's <laughs> really never been that. a playoff game ending double play involving an outfielder before, apparently. And, and no one wanted to say it definitively. <laughs> for, it was just, ooh. And I further, feel like this hasn't happened. There's never been in the playoffs an 8-5-3 double play ever, which is a center fielder to the third baseman to the first baseman uh, for a double play. It's never happened before oh, in playoff like history keep track of that you know like in the nfl they have this uh scorigami thing oh 31 yeah. 11 that's never happened before. all baseball or, does is keep yeah. track of stuff <laughs> so <laughs> the whole game is actually just i saw a tweet from keeping track <laughs> melissa block formerly of npr i think she still sort of works for npr from time to time but she's not uh, a daily host any longer and she tweeted something like uh uh what a fucking shame it is to see all of these people doing the tomahawk chop on uh, Indigenous Columbus Day. Oh, and, <laughs> uh, that's right. I forgot. And, and then in in the replies to that, there were also, or maybe maybe it was a Chops. recommended tweet uh, because I was interacting with this Melissa Block complaining about the chop during Indigenous Peoples Day thing. Uh, was somebody calling out or or calling in or whatever Taylor Swift for participating in a chop at a Chiefs game uh, over the weekend? She did do that. So she's apparently chopping and chanting, as the Chiefs fans are wont to do as well. 
And uh, I bring that up not just because of the fucking patent absurdity of it, but I was reading uh, a recap of last night's game at Defector.com, which is uh, uh, what the old Deadspin people uh, invented after Deadspin died and right. and became something less than its uh, ideal form. And the, the Defector people, there's a giant fucking book in me about the gawker era of of internet and what what those personalities became because i i think that they have they've soured and spoiled in a way that i don't know if it speaks to a change in me or a change in them but my suspicion is that it's a change in them and there's something about being an outsider group of sort of rabble rousers who are intent on shitting on a system that deserves to be shit upon and then having that system sort of morph into uh and 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 bring them in and sort of adapt to their criticisms and have uh, a whole lot of uh, mainstream media to some extent has become gawkerized right. over the course of the last decade and now the people who are still outside of that system don't sort of know how to be in the world anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's like uh, it's not exactly the dog who caught the car and doesn't right. know what to do. Uh, but there's I don't know. I don't, like I said, it's a big thing that I have with the 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 former Gawkerites and the former dead spinners. Okay. And I've got problems with the defector people, but uh, this in in particular comes from their uh, recap of last night's game. And I'm going to read a small amount. Here we go. For a while, it looked like Zach Wheeler wouldn't need any more than the runs his team delivered. He earned the no-hitter-in-progress banner on the MLB.com scoreboard with five-plus innings of blemish-free ball fueled by a hot fastball and some biting breaking stuff that racked up 10 Ks. Through the first half of the game, Braves fans had more ammo with which to vent their frustration about all the rust that supposedly built up over their bye week. Uh, manager Brian Snitker even mentioned in a mid-game interview that the struggling free to lasted just four innings, hadn't pitched legit since September 21st. Wheeler, meanwhile, was in a groove after a strong start against the Marlins in the last series. Uh, I read that in part because it would have been embarrassing for me to publish it as like a high school sports <laughs> reporter that I was. Like it's it's just not good or interesting writing. I don't know why it's uh, well, on the website. Well, time constraint issue. Maybe like we we got to turn things up. You know, I got to turn this over and and, and no, publish. Was... No, you don't get that. That's not an excuse when your job is right. sports journalist. No. Published at 9 o'clock in the morning. Also from the story, the Phillies, come stretch time, still had a firm 4-1 to lead to protect, but they had wasted their opportunity to bury the Braves early. With all those base runners, the Phillies hitters had repeated clean shots at the kill. Instead, they anxiously paced around the hospital while the Atlanta patients made a miraculous recovery. Now, uh, this person... Uh, Lauren Tyson is a writer for uh, uh, Defector.com, is writing in metaphor, right? It's right. pretty clear that she does not mean that the Phillies literally failed over and over again right. to kill the Braves on the field. And instead, the Braves uh, had a miraculous recovery when they should have been uh, 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 strangled in the crib of the fifth or sixth or seventh inning, right? right. Uh, she's She doesn't mean it. Literally. Right. Uh, she also works for a website 
that insists that all Braves fans are racists because they do the tomahawk chop and cheer for a team called the Braves, right? right? This is a this is the editorial position of the website defector.com. It comes across in their podcasts and in their previous uh, Braves centric content. This is a moral judgment they have made over and over again in the past, showing absolutely no ability to recognize the fact that the Braves don't literally mean it when they do the tomahawk chop and call themselves the Brave. Instead, it's sort of a symbolic thing, or it's a metaphor, or it's an appreciation even, maybe, uh, arguably, to some extent, of another culture. But because they can't see past uh, the blinders over their own eyes or recognize uh, the same thing in themselves that they condemn in others, uh, they'll never understand uh, what's going on here. But but, uh, I I encourage Lauren Thyssen and the other people at Defector.com to recognize that metaphorical language is fine uh, when you use it, and it's sort of fine when other people use it too. Anyway, uh, the Braves... By the time we uh, reconvene here uh, next, we'll either be on their way to the National League Championship Series or we'll have been beaten by the absolutely hateful Philadelphia Phillies. I don't know how a neutral observer can look at this Phillies team and choose to root for them as opposed to the Atlanta Braves. The Braves are fun and cool and awesome, and the Phillies look like a bunch of fucking dirty bus people. They look like <laughs> gross, people like that. poorly uh, hygiened individuals from the city bus stop. And it's disgusting, and it, it's in keeping with that whole awful fucking city, and it's in keeping with the Philadelphia Phillies over the course of many generations now. This is just historical Historically, a dirtbag uh, organization full of uh, dirty-looking motherfuckers. Go back to the 1993 Phillies, and, it, and it's completely in keeping with that as well. First, uh, first of all, uh, there's no either about it. Uh, Atlanta's going to make it through. Uh, Phillies are going to lose. That's already hey, they settled. They have a guy who wets his hair between <laughs> innings. He has long, gross, stringy hair, right. and he goes into the back, and he, he makes it wetter so it hangs down wet and stringy more. He probably smells like a fucking <laughs> gross dog on top of it. The only uh, the defense I will uh, will say, or just an observation, uh, the, the Philadelphia sports fan base uh, their reputation uh, is not very good. Uh, they're not thought very highly by others. Uh, I will say, though, that that display of uh, we are upset at some call and we're going to throw trash into the field, if Philadelphia had done that, that would have played right into... That. They all do it. That, they all do it. Everybody that does that. Right we watched it happen out of football. This is the one time that the Braves fans have done it that I... Uh, I have no sympathy for. Like, they were wrong to have done it in this instance. The last time I remember it happening was... Chipper Jones. Uh, the, the infield fly rule back in uh, 20... Oh, that was that was a garbage. Whenever it was. Uh, that's, that's, that's one that I remember. That was a bad one. Yeah, don't do that. Don't throw your shit on the on the goddamn field. But yes, uh, if it happened in Philadelphia, it would have been another paragraph in the long uh, storied history of Philadelphia people being dirtbags and an accurate paragraph at that. <laughs> Abe, the Colts won, right? The Colts are good. Yes. I think the Colts are good. The, the Giants stink, but I think the Colts are good. The, yeah, the Giants. And, and, and they're winning with Gardner Mitchell. They're just plugging in any quarterback in this team. That... that 
coach they got from the Eagles. Very good. Steichen, what a great coach. Abe, you, uh, you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. And we'll talk to you next time. Later. Probably take them with me or leave them. I get. Oh wait, no, because I get home. Yeah. I'll take them home. Yeah. You'll take my shitty car home. I'll take the nice car. That nice car, that 2017 nice car that we've got. Oh, look at that! The Orioles are limited. Fourteen thousand dollars on a new HVAC. What about? Does anyone want to Venmo us? Yeah. Good lord. You know it's not cheap. Fucking heating and air conditioning, replacing an entire 30-year-old system. Oh, but look at the bright side. You'll get another 30 years. No, we won't. No, we'll probably get like 10 or 15 or something. Again, Venmo. Does the show have a Venmo? There is no show Venmo, no. I did think about... L-O-R-I-G-H-L-O-U. Uh, <laughs> could we, uh, could we uh, designate ourselves as some sort of 501c3 charitable organization and just uh, accept donations? depressing thing for like an hour and a half and it's something i can't speak on because i have unpopular opinions about it you're just an anti-semite i think is what it i don't want to. the microphones on anymore <laughs> all right what is your opinion about it i don't want to talk about it <laughs> kill them all I th- <laughs> uh, to the sea <laughs> So you leave tomorrow. When are you back? Sunday? Sunday. Well, the the, the schedule says Sunday. We'll see. I may, you may be getting a text out of me. Oh, funny thing happened. <laughs> frontier. Oh, fuck Frontier me schedule adjustment? Yeah. <laughs> yes. We'll see. But I'm sure it will be. everything will work out well. I'll be ready next Monday. Or the proceeding was created with 100% human content.